0: Thanks for joining us for today's message. Here at Temple Baptist, we're a church on a mission, connecting people to Jesus and to one another. Well, we are in week four of our summer series called Flawless God Uses Flawed People. We're simply looking at people in the Bible, different people in the Bible, who had some major flaws like you and me, and yet God did some extraordinary things. Uh, with our life, well, this morning we're going to be looking at a family feud uh, in the Bible. Now, when I say family feud, I think a lot of us, our minds immediately go to that TV show where there's always lots of laughter. Uh, but in this situation, this family feud, there's no laughter uh, taking place. Uh, some of you probably can relate to a, a family feud. You know, maybe something was said between you and, and your sister. And, and you haven't spoken in years, she hasn't come by the visit, she hasn't phoned, there's been no a correspondence, and there's a, a tension, a, a little bit of a feud. Or, you know, I know some parents here um, that are part of our family have some um, strife between you and your child, and, and, there, and there's not really much communication, there's a, a little bit of a, of a feud going on, and some, for some parents, they don't even know why uh, this is happening. Uh, for some of you, maybe you had an uncle who got mad at some family reunion. He walked away, and you haven't heard from him in the last uh, 10 years. So some of you are living the story of a family feud. Well, this family feud that takes place in the Bible that we're going to be looking at is actually between siblings. There's a sibling rivalry. In fact, it's so strong that one brother wants to actually kill uh, the other brother. I mean, we're talking some strong animosity toward each other. Uh, they're twin brothers. In fact, they're the very first set of twins ever mentioned in the Bible, but the two of them could not be more different. Now, some of you may be hearing this story for the very first time. Others, maybe you haven't heard this story since you were a child in Sunday school. It Really, it's a fascinating Story And lots to learn from these boys. Of course, I'm referring to Esau and Jacob. We even know the story of their birth. Because when Esau was being born, it says that Jacob's hand was grasping at the heel of Esau. Even at birth, Jacob was competing to be number one. They were almost born at the same moment. But Esau was born just a few minutes before, and he's the oldest. One's a mama's boy, and one's a, a, a daddy's boy. They're the sons of uh, Isaac and Rebecca. They're like a lot of couples. Isaac and Rebecca were married for 20 years. They, they struggled with infertility. And then finally, Rebecca discovers that she is pregnant. She's expecting. And during her pregnancy, there's a lot of activity going on in her womb. In fact, so much that she's wondering what is going on that she prays to the Lord and asks, what is happening the Lord reveals to her there are two nations inside of her, and they are at odds with each other, and evidently that struggle began right from the womb. Esau, this warrior, a hunter, an outdoors man, he's a man's man. He's confident in, in all of his pursuits. Jacob is a mama's boy. He likes hanging around the house. He, he likes to be in the kitchen. He's more, a little more creative. Um, he was an indoors boy who didn't care much about the outdoors, just like Esau was an outdoors boy who didn't care much about being inside. Twins, yes, but completely different people. So let's read a bit of their story in Genesis chapter 25. If you have your Bibles, you can join along and follow. Uh, if not, I think it will also be on the screen for you to follow along. Genesis chapter five or 25, and we're going to pick up the story in verse uh, 29. Genesis 25, verse 29. Once, when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, quick, quick, let me have some food. uh, Let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is a birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank, and then he got up and he left. And the last line says, so Esau despised his birthright. Now in this culture, there's something called this birthright. There's there something that, it's not really something that's in our culture today. So if, if you had the birthright, that means you're going to get a double portion of the inheritance. That means you're going to get twice as much of, of any of your brothers and any of your sisters. So if you're from a wealthy family, uh, you're going to get some significant wealth. There's a, a financial blessing in, being, in having the birthright. But another thing about having a birthright is that when your parents died, you become the head of the family. You become the decision maker. So with a birthright comes influence and power. But also with a the birthright, there comes a blessing that comes along with it, the passing on of a glorious future. Now, now in this story, the younger brother wants what the older brother has and and, I mean that's kind of common in today you know a younger brother may go to an older brother and say hey can I borrow your leather coat I want to wear it tonight or hey can I have the keys to your car I'd like to borrow it tonight now in this particular situation we have the older brother who wants something from the younger brother See, he comes in and Esau comes in from being outside all day he's been hunting he says I'm starving I, I need some of that food that you're making now you would think Any brother would say, come on in brother, come on, I'll sit at the table, I'll get you something really quick. But that's not what Jacob does. And so for years, when I read through this story, I have never really could understand uh, the part of the story where Esau just gives away his birthright for a bowl of soup. I mean, why would anyone sell or trade their birthright for a bowl of soup? Nobody in their right mind. Would be that stupid i mean you almost wish you could be there uh, to intervene and and tell esau stop stop think it through what you are about to do why would you give your whole future away for a temporary fix why would you sacrifice your whole future for an immediate pleasure i used to look at esau and say to myself this guy he's dumber than dumb no one in their right mind would be so foolish But then I had this revelation. Donald, this happens all the time. People are faced with decisions like this all the time. There are a lot of men and women uh, will sacrifice their future for an immediate pleasure fix. You know, maybe a, a married man goes away on a business trip. He's been away for a while, and he steps into temptation and has a one-night stand. I mean, willing to to almost throw his whole future with his wife and and kids that are back home. You know, know, maybe um, a lady at work has a a couple drinks with a colleague, and one thing leads to another, and before you know it, there's been a one-night stand, and she's pregnant. The whole future changes. You know, maybe a, a teen goes to a party where there's, you know, there's a lot of drinking and, and he gets plastered and he wakes up the next morning in the hospital, paralyzed on the waist down and somebody who was in the car is dead. All just um, for a quick high. The idea that people would sacrifice their future for an immediate high actually is very, very common. It says that Esau despised his birthright. I think what they're saying, Esau hated the decision that he made. And the Bible is filled with people who made some very uh, bad decisions. You think of uh, Adam and Eve in the garden, Lot pitching his tent toward Sodom. David taking Bathsheba. Uh, Ammon uh, falling sick in love with his sister and raping her. Uh, Samson flirting with Delilah, uh, Jonah running from God, Peter denying the Savior. There's a, there are a lot of people in the Bible who make some bad decisions, there are a lot of people today who make poor choices. And I certainly have made my share of bad decisions. You know, when I read the opening verses of the book of Matthew, which talks about the lineage uh, of, uh, of Jesus, it says, you know, Abraham, the father of Isaac, Isaac, the father of of Jacob, Jacob the father of Jude. I'm like, oh my goodness, Jacob was part of the lineage of Christ. I'm thinking, Esau, that could have been you. <laughs> you gave it all, all away. You know, Jacob has 12 sons, and they become the, the, the 12 tribes of Israel. And I'm thinking, Esau, you gave up your whole future. That could have been you. We're told that those 12 boys, those 12 tribes become a mighty nation, and they become the chosen people of God. And I'm like, Esau, that could have been you. When God is introduced to Moses in the book of Exodus, he says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In my mind, Esau, that, that could have been you. That could have been your kids. It could have been your family that God did some extraordinary things. But he sacrificed his whole future for the immediate. I mean, if I had have been there, I would have just wanted to have, have, have shaken him and said, Esau, stop, stop. Think it through. You are jeopardizing your entire future. Esau, do you want to give up all of this for a bowl of stew? Look at what God could have done. If you hadn't traded your whole future for a quick fix so those who are just graduating from high school and 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 from college ask yourself that question where do I want to be in a year from now where do I want to be five years from now don't sacrifice your future to satisfy some immediate need you have because you have no idea what God has for you so don't trade your future for a bowl of soup It says in the text that he ate and he drank and he left. The stew was gone and so was his birthright. This is something, by the way, that you will fight your entire life. We'll always be tempted to trade a bowl of soup for our future. And there will be times that we'll even try to justify it. Hey, everyone else is doing it no one else will even know it's just a little shortcut in my education it's just a a relationship and we find we end up trading it for our future is it worth trading our whole future is it worth trading the ultimate for the immediate like what is at stake Uh, you don't know we don't even know what God has for us in our future so think about that before we make some rash decision that will impact our whole future. And I'm sure I have, we have some people listening this morning that would come along and put their arm around you and say, yeah, 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 I, I'm a perfect example. I, I sacrificed my future. God's still been gracious over the years, but I sacrificed a lot because I was impulsive with some of the decisions I made. I, I sacrificed for an immediate fix. Now, that's Esau. You look at Jacob. He's got a reputation, by the way. He, he, he's, a, he's known as a deceiver, a manipulator, a trickster. He would lie and cheat to get whatever he wanted. In fact, Jacob, from the moment he exited the womb, he was scheming to figure out how he could get what he wanted any way possible. And of course, we, we really know him here as, when we talk about uh, a manipulator and a deceiver, as the one who stole his brother's birthright. I mean, every Jewish boy, especially the oldest boy in the family, looked forward to, the, to that blessing, the, the, the double portion that would be given to him. Um, every young boy would long to have his father place his hands on his shoulder or on his head and transfer The inheritance onto him. It was a transfer also of of the family's spiritual blessing. And Jacob wanted it. And in order to get it, he would have to come up with some scheme to trick his brother. Esau, of course, foolishly sold his birthright and gave up his blessing. And then he tricked his own father. He he puts on Esau's clothes, and he goes into his father, who at this point in his life has a very hard time seeing his eyesight. He's almost blind. And he walks in, and he has the smell of his brother's clothes. And you know who helped him? His own mother helped him deceive his father. And when, of course, Esau realized that Jacob had tricked him out of his blessing, you know what? he wanted to do right he wanted to kill him I don't mean make his life miserable you know sometimes siblings will say oh I'm going to kill you they don't literally mean that they just mean I'm going to make your life miserable but in this situation Esau wasn't interested in making Jacob's life miserable he was going to actually he wanted to end his life and he was going to do it as soon as their father Isaac had died and so for the next 20 years Jacob was in on the run (laughs) trying to hide from all of his scams Esau says, what goes around comes around, brother. You'll get what you deserve. Now when I read about Jacob, I initially, I think to myself, this is not the kind of person I would want to be friends with. I mean, when you know someone who's all about themselves, all about self-promoting, always trying to get ahead and will do whatever they need to, if it means manipulating a relationship, they'll do it. If it means a little bit of deception, well, they will do it. And I think to myself, this is not the kind of person I would want to keep company with so my question is since jacob has so many characteristics or character issues why why would god use him i mean this man is flawed through and through and yet you have this flawless god choosing to use a flawed man like jacob you know, and i think thinking, you're telling me this is the best that God had to choose from to fulfill his purposes? I think, a wow, there must have been a really shortage of good guys in this period of history. And just as I'm getting a little bit of high on myself, God taps me on the shoulder and reminds me, Hey, Calder, I have a lot to work with when I chose you to accomplish my will and my purposes in this world. And it kind of puts me back in my place. Well, when you continue to read the story of Jacob, you realize God is not finished with Jacob yet. There's going to be a WWF match. And it's actually found in chapter 32 of Genesis. Chapter 32. There's this wrestling match. Jacob actually wrestles with a man... Through the entire night. He, he lays down thinking he's going to go for a sleep. And then all of a sudden this man appears out of nowhere. And they wrestle all night long. In fact, they wrestled until the sun began to come up in the morning. And at one point during the wrestling match in chapter 32, we find that Jacob's actually hip gets dislocated. And he's still fighting because he's fighting for his life. You can read it for yourself in, in chapter 32. And as the sun is beginning to come up, the man says to Jacob, let me go. Jacob says, no, I will not let you go until you bless me. I'm like, what? What What is going on here? Then the man says, what is your name? He says, my name is Jacob. We know it means trickster, deceiver. And then the man says to Jacob, he says, you will no longer be called Jacob. He says, you will be called Israel. In the Bible, names signify your identity. And so when the man says to Jacob, what's your name? Like, What is your identity? Really, it was a deceiver. That's who he was. But his name is going to change. And Israel means one who strives with God. What we discover is that Jacob wasn't just wrestling with a man. Jacob had been wrestling with God all night. And I want to encourage you, don't mistake the hand of God with the hand of man, and don't mistake the hand of man with the hand of God. You know, sometimes I wonder, why is that person messing with me? Why are they making my life so difficult? And then I'm reminded, you know, Because I think, Donald, God is trying to change you. You know, when I don't get my own way, I've kind of made some plans, and you're trying to move forward, and it doesn't happen. I'm like, what is going on? And then I realize, you know, maybe I'm wrestling with God. You know, sometimes I think I'm wrestling with man, but in reality, I'm wrestling with God as he's trying to shape and mold and chip me away to be who he wants me to be. And see what we discover in chapter 32. It's not a human fight. This was a divine wrestling match that was taking place. And after I read through the story a number of times this week, this is what came to my mind God loves us enough that He'll allow sometimes in negative circumstances to enter in our life to change us, to make us who He wants us to be. And you know what that means? Do you know what that means when God allows some of those things into our life to chip us? And that means it's not too late for God to use us. God is still interested in using us, even in the midst of all of our flaws. This flawless God steps in and says, "I can use that flawed man, that flawed woman." and sometimes He takes those circumstances in our life to shape us so we can be usable. To me, that's good news that it's not too late for God to use us even as flawed men and women. Interesting character, this Jacob guy. A trickster, a deceiver, a manipulator from birth. But God did some chipping away so that this flawed man Would be ready to be used by a flawless God. And I believe God is still in the business of using flawed people like you and like me to accomplish his purposes. for listening and consider joining us live on Sundays at 9, 15 and 11 a.m. For our address, directions and any other information, find us online at templebaptist.com